This is a Geek Leader Podcast, and I'm your host, John Rauta. This show is all about helping us grow as leaders, become better technologists, and improve our lives both at work and at home. I hope you enjoy the show and learn a lot. Hello, world, and welcome to episode 207 of Geek Leader Podcast. I'm your host, John Rauta, and today's sponsor is Private Internet Access. If you've ever surfed the web and wanted to do it securely, especially when you're traveling or uh, using someone else's uh, network, you definitely need private internet access. Private internet access allows you to have a secure VPN without them logging what data you're, what you're doing, what transactions you're making, or anything like that to connect to anywhere in the world. You can also change your default location so it appears as if you're coming from a different place. Why is this helpful, you say? If you're not doing anything nefarious, well, it's really helpful if you want to test DNS resolution from different places and different time zones. Um, It's a really cool tool, and it's not very expensive at all. You can get plans starting at $3.99 a month, and you can find out more by going to ageekleader.com slash VPN. Again, that's ageekleader.com slash VPN. All right, Geek Leaders, today on the show, I've got Kent C. Dodds, and he is a, uh, a world-renowned speaker, teacher, trainer, who is actively involved in the open source community, and you may remember him from episode 59, if you're a long-time listener, uh, where we talked a lot about uh, development and education and learning. Uh, and we're going to continue down that same path today and talk about all that has changed in uh, his life over the past couple of years as he's made the transition from working uh uh, for a company to kind of uh, educating full time. So with all that being said, Kent, welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me back. It's really an honor. I guess it wasn't so bad the last time. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it was, I think it went really well. It was uh, it was shared several times. So I appreciate that. I think uh, that was one of my most shared uh, shows at the time on Twitter, which was pretty awesome. Cool, uh, cool. I'm glad. So uh, a lot has changed since last time. But if you want if you don't mind, just for people that haven't heard of you or didn't listen to the first episode, can you tell us a little bit about kind of how you got to where you are today and what that journey in your life has been like? Sure. So um, let's see. I I went to school at uh, Brigham Young University and graduated with a master's degree in information systems in 2014. Um, And while I was still in school, I did a couple internships um, and I converted from an intern to full-time at uh, Domo as a, a software engineer. Um, so through my time at school, I decided I didn't wanna go like product management or, or networking or um, um, any of the various other things you can do. I, I decided oh, I wanna be an engineer. So um, yeah, so I started doing JavaScript for them, uh, hopped around a couple uh, different companies in that first year. Um, I think I had four jobs in the first year or, or so after graduating. Um, and uh, ended up at PayPal for three years uh, as a, a JavaScript engineer, uh, working primarily with React. Um, before that, it was all AngularJS. Um, and then, well, and, and there was some backbone and stuff and older, uh, <laughs> earlier on. Um, but uh, yeah, and then uh, I worked at PayPal for just over three years uh, and then decided to go on my own as, a, as an engineer. So, and that was, yeah, I, I guess that was four or five years after having graduated. So yeah, and I've been um, on my own for the last two or three years. Uh, now I'm, I'm losing track of the years, but it's, <laughs> I think it's two years <laughs> that I've been on my own. So what was um, that process like? Like, um, was it fearful to make that kind of a decision to, uh, you know, leave the steady paycheck and kind of go out on your own? Or is it one of those things you built over gradual and, and kind of, you know, transition to it? Or was it more of a cut? Like just, uh, I'm, I'm stopping and 
trying something new. Yeah. Well, so my wife and I are very risk averse. We, uh, I have um, four kids and, um, and my wife is a full-time mom. And so we wanted to make sure that, um, you know, we were going to be financially secure before I, I made this, uh, this leap. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, the, uh, like, yeah, I, I, the, the backup plan for doing something like this is to get a job uh, in our current industry, even, even with COVID and, and the uncertainty mm-hmm. of everything, um, we're still pretty solid um, in being able to get a job. And even now, uh, you're more likely to get a remote position um, with the, the way that COVID has shaken up the industry or the world uh, at large. Uh, and so, yeah, the backup plan was just to go back and get another job if things didn't work out. But I didn't want to do that. And so um, I was really confident that things were going to work out because um, I had been doing stuff on the side since um, like a month or two after having graduated. So um, I started making videos for Egghead. um, Yeah, really like a a month after um, graduation. And it was in very short order. uh, My Egghead royalties were paying my mortgage. Uh, so it was very um, non-trivial amounts of money th- that I could make on the side, uh, just in the evenings of recording these videos. And, uh, and then ultimately, I created testingjavascript.com um, in, uh, let's see, that I think that was November 2018. Um, and that very quickly became apparent that it was going to make up my, for my salary. Uh, and so I could just focus all my time on, on that and quit my full-time job. And the reason I wanted to do that was because I was doing all of this stuff after hours. Um, and uh, as, as fun as that was, I also have four kids and I want to <laughs> spend time with them. And, uh, you know, they're, they're all pretty young. They still go to bed at like seven or eight. Uh, and yeah. so like, it wasn't an enormous, and, and my wife at the end of the day, lots of the time, she's just like, I just want to be alone. <laughs> so <laughs> it was never like an, an enormous uh, sacrifice on my family's part. Um, and if it had been, I would have uh, adjusted things, but uh, my kids are, are growing up and they're getting involved in different things. And so I, I wanted to be able to be around for them. Um, more more often, and so that was part of what motivated the the uh, switch was because I didn't want to work sixty hours a week, you know, forty for my full time job and twenty for the side thing, and I I just wanted to work a regular forty or maybe sometimes just work twenty and spend more time with the family, you know, I have a ton of flexibility, and so that's that's where in my mind that's why we make money is to have freedom, and mm-hmm. so if I can make enough money. Um, then I, I don't need to have the full-time job to make even more money. I've, I've got the freedom that I need with um, the, the side stuff that I was doing. And so I can reduce the amount of money I make and increase the amount of freedom that I have. Um, and that's, that's kind of what I'm going for anyway. I, I don't need to be a, like a multimillionaire or anything like that. I'm, I'm pretty okay with, with where I'm yeah. at now. So yeah, um, I always anyway. encourage people to do that to kind of have that side thing going all the time. I encourage all my uh, team employees to do something fun on the side. Just, it, it can be work-related or it doesn't have to be work-related. You know, it can be something totally different if, if that's what you want to do, but do something to, um, you, you know, to, to brighten your, your horizon, to give you a fallback if you need it. Like if something happens with our company and you have to go somewhere else or whatever, you have a little bit of a cushion, you have something fun to do and just see if it's something that you want to do. And I've been doing that, you know, pretty much my whole career too, whether it's teaching part-time at the university, just, which is an awesome way to keep your skill sets up, you know, to, to teach, which you found out, um, I'm sure. 
um, or, or writing books or doing the podcast or whatever. Um, I think it's always a fun thing to do. It also gives you that extra little, um, little income, which is helpful too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So you worked remote um, before working remote was cool, I guess, <laughs> before, the, <laughs> but before the, uh, the, the, the lockdown and things that have happened um, with COVID in, in the recent times, what was that like for you the first time you, you did work remote? Uh, so I did a little bit of remote work before I started at PayPal. Uh, I was working at a company not far from my home, like it was a 15 minute commute. Um, but uh, there, for some reason, there were a couple of days where it was just easier for me to work from home or I needed to work from home. And so I, I would work remote maybe once a week or something like that. Um, and so I had a little bit of experience with that and, and working as an open source uh, developer, I, I, I've been doing open source for as long as I've been programming pretty much. Um, and so working with people I've never met before in person um, and collaborating on, online has uh, always just been something that I've done as a software engineer. And so the switch to full-time remote wasn't a, a huge shock on that front. Um, the, the biggest challenge that I found at PayPal was um, working on a team where I'm the only remote developer and everybody else is in the office together. So the first team that I started on um, everybody was in a different office or working remotely. Um, and that's part of the reason that I was able to get a remote position at PayPal. Uh, I don't know what it's like right now, but at the time, um, people did not get hired on as a remote engineer. Yeah. And just that, that didn't happen. Um, and I like there, there may have been one or two people who got hired on as a remote engineer. And I was one of them. Um, anybody else who was working remote had already been an engineer at PayPal and had transitioned to remote. Um, so it, it was a, a pretty unusual thing. And uh, PayPal's culture was not uh, super well suited for remote work. Um, and that made it a bit of a challenge. Now, the, the first team I was on, because there was one remote developer and everybody else was in a different office, it was fine because everybody was working remotely and, and had to collaborate you know, using the online tools. But as um, I, I, I got shifted around and, and different people got shifted around my team, um, I became the only remote developer on a team where everybody else was in the same office on the same floor and everything. Um, and that became a challenge because um, pretty soon, like, it, it was just easier for people to yell across the room, like, hey, are you working on that? Uh, rather than use Slack or whatever other tool. Mm -hmm. um, and so that, that was a bit of a challenge, but there was a, the bright side of it too. And that is, uh, I am not the developer who likes to do the DevOps stuff. Like when the servers are on fire, I do not want to deal with that. Uh, that's not like where I enjoy spending my time. And, and so when stuff like that happened, I mean, I was the team lead um, for, for part of this. And maybe this is why like, I don't feel like I'm a very good team lead because <laughs> I don't like doing this stuff. But, uh, um, but yeah, like if things were on fire, the last place they're going to collaborate is using online tools because they're just right next to each other. And so I just didn't, was not aware that things were on fire when stuff like really bad stuff went down uh, until the aftermath when they started doing their like... Um, uh, you know, they, they've set up, uh, put out the fire and now they're starting to use the online tools to discuss what happened and how that we can do things better next time. So yeah, I was just never really a part of those um, um, urgent conversations. Um, and I, I think it would have been if, uh, if the whole team had been remote, that wouldn't have been a problem or, or at least a couple of the members of the team were remote. Um, 
And so, yeah, I mean, there were a couple of times I, I helped with, with those situations, but yeah, most of the time it just all happened without me <laughs> even knowing something was wrong, which I am actually really grateful for. I did not want to do that stuff. So maybe that's why I don't, I don't know. <laughs> well, but, I mean, uh, anyway, I there, there were um, several um, good things and bad things about being the only remote developer, but I'd say in general, it's best if you can have at least um, half of the team remote, if you're going to do remote work. Yeah, I agree. I think you feel like uh, if you're the only one remote, you, you kind of feel like you're missing out. I yeah. know, um, you know, with, with COVID, there's, there were times where people were back in the office and some people were remote and, you know, trying to figure out what was going on. And that was always se- seemed to be challenging. And you, you un- inadvertently would leave out the people that weren't there, you know, and it, it's kind of, I don't know, it, it's a difficult thing to work with. So yeah, I totally get that. Um, what are some things that you've, you've seen, you know, being, being the team lead, why you're remote how do you um motivate or encourage employees uh, or just ensure that they're learning the things they need to be learning or doing the things that they need to be doing yeah well because i was remote there wasn't like the hey let's go get a go for a walk and get a drink or whatever um that like that just didn't happen and so i had to be more proactive in reaching out to people um and and i tried to do that um and just say hey how's your day going sort of thing um, but I, I wasn't super good at that. But one thing that I was good at was um, reviewing people's pull requests and stuff like that and, and uh, participating in that end of development, mm-hmm. uh, as well as um, participating in our, our meetings for, uh, you know, when we're planning for the next sprint or whatever, um, and making sure that everybody feels good about the tasks that um, they're volunteering for. Um, and yeah, so like as, as a team lead, being able to guide the uh, direction of the code base through code reviews primarily. Um, I also did a handful of screen shares and, and pair programming uh, to help with you know whatever somebody was working on, uh, especially if it was an area of the code base that I'd worked on before, uh, that, that happened a fair amount. Um, and uh, yeah, like genuinely being interested, I had a manager, uh, our, our team was managed by somebody who um, didn't take a whole lot of interest in our, like the engineer's careers and was mostly interested in like status updates and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, he was a, a new manager and hopefully he figured it out later, but that's, uh, <laughs> there's more to being a manager than just getting status updates. Yeah. Um, and so I, I, tried to fill in those shoes a little bit and get to know what people wanted and encourage them um, to pursue opportunities that would get them closer to what they wanted. Um, but like I said, I don't think I was a very good team lead and I didn't do a very good job of, of that. Um, and there, there may have been various reasons, but in, for the most part, I think it was just not what I wanted to do. Uh, it wasn't what I wanted to spend my time doing. And so I, I did ask to get removed as the team lead and, and put somebody else in. Uh, that would do a better job than I I would, um, and I'm I'm not ashamed of that. Um, I, I actually think that it's it's good to assess whether you're in a good position, um, and uh, I I didn't feel like I was. I I was not helping the company as much as I could uh, yeah. with what I did instead, uh, and, and that was to to move to a more architectural role um, to help all of PayPal with the uh, stuff that I worked on over there. Uh, yeah. So. I think that takes a lot of uh, courage to do something like that because, you know, I don't know if it's if it's all developers or, or engineers or whatever, but <clears throat> we sometimes have an ego. And we don't want to um, say that we're not good at something that we may struggle <laughs> with. And, you know, I ran into that, too, when I was uh, first a leader. I was um, my first team I was managing was a web and mobile development team. 
And I think I had two people quit out of a team of six on the same day. And it was one of those things where like uh, I met with the mentor that the company had assigned me and I told him what had happened. And he's like, why do you think that is? And I was like, oh, well, you know, there's higher paying jobs at the banks and things like that. And that's where they were going to go. And he's like, no, that's not it. He's like, you're, you're just, you're not a good leader. That's what it is. You know, you kind of, oh, no. there's things that kind of right in your face. And yeah. when, you, when you take a step back and really realize that, yeah, I'm not very good at this. I need to work on it or I need to go a different direction. You have that, that point where you say either I'm going to go back and focus on being an architect or some stronger technical skill, or I'm going to, you know, put some of those technical things to the side and focus on developing my leadership skills and people skills and, and building that path. And um, I think a lot of times we have to, as engineers, we have to come into that, that journey at, at fork in the road of which direction we're going to go. And um, so it's really hard to, to maintain both um, unless you're just naturally inclined to be a good leader, I think. Yeah, I, I feel like I'm an okay uh, project leader. Like um, I, I've shown that in my uh, open source projects that I have created and maintained. Um, although I do hand off uh, maintenance of projects a lot. Um, but uh, I think in, in part, I'm only able to do that because I was a good leader and, and helped encourage other people to participate. Um, I, and I have experience when I didn't do a good job of that early in my career. Um, but I, I think to uh, your situation, uh, of course, I know nothing about the reasons that those people quit. But the first um, thought that I have is there's a lot more nuance uh, to something like that. It's it's never just one thing, right. at least as, as somebody who's uh, changed companies multiple times um, there. Like sometimes there's something that's clearly the straw that broke the camel's back, but it, it's always just a, a straw. There's always uh, more to it than uh, I just had a bad manager. So don't don't um, <laughs> put all of that on you. <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, so one, one question I had, because you are pretty um, prolific in the open source community, doing a lot of projects and work out there. Um, and I've worked at companies where open source is you know, the way to go and other companies where it was strictly forbidden to use open source tools. You had to have something that's supported, something, you know, somewhere you can go. Um, what is your argument for people that if you have a boss that says, no, no, we're not using open source to, to, um, to kind of break into that, that market? Yeah. Okay. So I've actually got a blog post about this called, well, not about this specifically, but it's titled Business and Engineering Alignment. Mm -hmm. And in there, I make the argument that um, you need to understand what the mission of the company is. Uh, that's the first thing. Before you try to convince anybody of anything at any company, you need to understand what the company's mission is. And then you act with the assumption that everybody in the company is solely focused on pushing that mission forward. Uh, now, of course, if you disagree with the mission, that's a, a, a good situation to quit your job. Yeah, yeah, you probably shouldn't have jumped on board in the first place, but it, like maybe, you know, life situations change. Um, but yeah, so like first you have to make sure that you're on board with this mission. And once you've decided that, yeah, I totally want this mission to, to go forward, then your whole goal should be pushing that mission forward. Uh, and so then you uh, have to convince yourself is what I want going to push this mission forward or is it going to make things worse? Uh, and so if you can't convince yourself that using open source is going to help this mission uh, be pushed forward, um, then uh, then there's no reason to talk to your boss about it. You've already convinced yourself, no, nah, no, nah, this, this isn't worthwhile. Um, I would argue that there are very few missions in the world where using open source would not push it forward. Um, I, I can't think of one. Um, I imagine maybe there's one, but uh, yeah, like, Using open source will probably push every mission forward, um, and and so 
you need to convince yourself, okay, so given that I believe that this, um, this thing I want to do will push the mission forward, um, how do I, uh, like, let, let's quantify that in some way, like, let's um, try to explain that to myself. How is this going to help push the mission forward? Um, how will inaction um, hurt the mission? Um, and so once you've been able to uh, kind of articulate that in, in some sensible way, that's when you take this to uh, the decision makers and you say, hey, listen, our uh, goal as a company is to do X and um, using open source or whatever it is that you want to do is going to, uh, to push that forward. Um, if we don't, then actually our mission will suffer. And so we need to do this because um, we won't be able to accomplish the mission of the company any, uh, without it, uh, or we, we won't be able to accomplish it as effectively. Um, and so then a couple of things can happen out of that. Um, one, they can still disagree with you. Um, they, they might just say, no, I don't, I don't believe you. Um, I, I still like you're missing this, that, and the other. Um, and actually you can kind of preemptively combat that, um, by talking individually. Like if, if you've got a team of developers, you need to convince or something, you talk individually with each member of the team You say, Hey, I'm going to bring this up at the next meeting or whatever. What are your concerns with it? And so you, you get all of the concerns out of the way. Uh, this does two things. Uh, first it helps you to make sure that you know what concerns are going to be brought up so you can prepare and, and, um, and uh, answer those. And, and maybe in the process of preparing to answer those concerns, you realize, oh, that's a real concern I hadn't considered. Um, but if it's not, then you can at least be prepared and um, answer that before they even bring up the concern in the meeting. And then the other thing is that if, um, if people are already predisposed to disagree with you uh, in that meeting, as soon as one person brings up a semi-valid concern, everybody suddenly shuts down and just latches onto that. And so you want to make sure that nobody's going to surprise you with the concern um, in that meeting where you're, you're presenting your solution. So you preemptively answer those concerns so that they don't even bring it up and you say, I already have the answer uh, to that to that problem. Don't even bother uh, talking about this. Yeah, that's one of the things that like <clears throat> I've, I've uh, learned that when I was getting through or going through negotiation training, it was one of those things where, you know, point out the, the, the other person's argument ahead of time. You know? Yeah. 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 That way you're not caught off guard and you know what they're going to say. And, um, but what happens if you are caught off guard? <laughs> yeah. So you're, you're in the meeting and somebody didn't tell you because they wanted to catch you off guard. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, I mean, if you have a coworker like that, then they're total jerks, <laughs> but, yeah. but uh, yeah. So like, maybe they just didn't think about it ahead of time when yeah. you asked them. But um, yeah, so if you're caught off guard during the, during the meeting, the last thing that you want to do is just make something up um, that that you aren't certain about. Like, I mean, you can say, well, I, I don't know about this, but like, here's an idea that I have. But uh, it's probably better, especially when it's high stakes, um, it's probably better to just say, you know what, I hadn't considered that. Let's uh, put this meeting on recess, uh, go play in the playground for a while while I figure this out. Um, and uh, and then we'll come back and, and talk about this. You You don't want to get into a debate with somebody who knows exactly what they're talking about when you don't know what you're talking about, you right. will lose. Um, and so like, if, if they have this concern, um, it, it, it may be like just a passing concern for them. Um, but the burden of proof is on you. And so you need your argument to be strong, even if their argument is weak, because the burden of proof is on you, you need yours to be strong. Um, otherwise you will lose. So uh, yeah, that, that would be something that I would suggest. Um, and, and at the end of the day, it may just be that people are like, nope, we um, like, 
we can't deny that your idea will push the mission forward, but we also don't just don't want to do it. <laughs> and if, if that is what it is, then you have to ask yourself, well, okay, so I'm really committed to pushing this mission forward. I'm getting roadblocks in, um, in what I want to do. They're not letting me push the mission forward. Maybe I don't want to work here. Um, I want to go somewhere where I'm not going to get roadblocks on, uh, on you know pushing a mission forward and and i i really like when i in that blog post and just in general i really recommend just a hyper focus on what's the mission of the company and you always bring it back to that um, and that way anybody who um who disagrees with you is disagreeing with the mission of the company so like if you can convince them in their mind um that uh, that what you want to do it will push the mission forward then uh, uh, anybody who disagrees with it um, is in the wrong. <laughs> so um, wh why are you so passionate about open source uh, projects? Yeah, open source. So like at, at PayPal, we did uh, a lot of open source and I was hired on um, with the expectation that I would continue doing open source. Uh, that was one of the reasons that they hired me actually was because of my affluence in open source, like how, how uh, active I was in the open source community. Um, and so there are a couple of things that open source has done for me that have just been phenomenal and and probably the most attractive to your audience and uh to of like uh newer developers is um that it gives me uh, a just a ton of free mentors um who are more than happy to mentor me um so i i uh, take a look of the tools that i use that are open source and i identify things that i don't like about them or i feel like could be improved or whatever uh, and then I can um, um, go and try to improve those things. So I, I open an issue and I say, here's, here's the problem that I, I found. I'm not sure what to do about it, but I'm happy to, to work on this. Or, or maybe you are sure what to do about it and you make the suggestion. Uh, and they say, sure, like, sweet, work on that. And I, I work on it. I make some pull requests. And then I'm getting feedback. And there's the mentorship right there. They're reviewing my code and they're uh, telling me better ways to approach different things. And so the more and more you do that, the more experience you get. And what's cool about this is you get varied experience. If you contribute to lots of different projects, um, then you have a lot of different people's opinions on how to write code and, and you get experience with working with different types of code. So it's, it's like working for a lot of different companies um, all at the same time, which just has given me a ton of uh, extra experience beyond of my you know, regular work. Um, the other cool thing is that like you can do this during your regular work if this open source project is something that you use at work and your employer is cool with that. Um, yeah. So I, I don't think I'd ever work at a company that wasn't cool with that. Um, <laughs> so, like, um, so you probably won't ever see me working at Apple. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, like participating uh, or when, when I talk about pushing the mission forward, I don't care what activities I need to do to, to do that. Um, uh, well, I mean, certainly I do. I, I don't want right. to be, you know, like cleaning the toilets and stuff um, <laughs> myself. Um, but, uh, you know, like I, um, I want to code and I don't care where that code goes. If that code happens to go into an open source package that we use and with this bug fixed, I can push the mission forward, then like, that's great. If it happens to be some closed source thing that we have, then that's, that's awesome too. I don't, I don't really care. Uh, and so I found myself at PayPal and at companies before that working on open source quite a bit because we used open source and, and um, that was just the most logical place to put the code. 
Uh, so yeah, uh, open source also can drastically help you push the company's mission forward as well. Yeah, um, I never really thought about the free mentor piece of it. I think that's a great, um, great tool. Like, you know, I've always thought of it as a way to, you know, build your resume, get experiences that you don't have at your work, especially like where I worked before we were, you know, coding only in C sharp. So like, if you want to do something else, you know, you have to do it open source on your own, you know, you can't, can't mm. learn it. Some can't learn it there. So um, it was kind of one of those things where, and actually doing that was what helped me get into um, iOS development there mm. when, um, when the, it, back then it was objective C when uh, iPhones first really came out, we, you know, we were, when our CIO said, Hey, does anybody have any experience with this? And actually I was working on a project and here's an example. Okay, cool. Well, now you're going to lead up that team and nice. <laughs> go forward with that. Um, so being able to, to contribute on the side, I think it was one of those those ways that does open up doors. But I never really thought about the free mentors and having people that would look at your code and give you better ways of doing it and you know try to make you better at, at that task. Yeah, exactly. And you know, and you have to take everything with a grain of salt because different developers have different opinions, and those opinions might be <laughs> wrong or or. <laughs> Or, I mean, lots of things are subjective in, in software development. And so that's the nice thing about working on, you know, contributing to multiple open source projects um, with different maintainers, because uh, that gives you just different perspectives. Um, and, and then, of course, the other thing is just the, the job opportunities um, are, are numerous when you, um, when you work on open source and you can show people what you do. Um, and, th and that was one of the things that attracted PayPal to me. Um, was that uh, I was so prolific in open source um, and, and they wanted me to continue and, and they sponsored my time and working on open source. I open sourced Downshift and Glamorous um, and I, I feel like there may have been one or two others uh, that were smaller. Um, and, uh, and I actually helped a lot with their process on getting things open sourced. Uh, so they were super supportive of that, um, that whole thing when I was at uh, PayPal as well, which was really helpful. And uh, I know that not all companies are, are quite that um, interested in, in helping you be um, participate in open source, but um, yeah, it was, th those are a few reasons why I, I just appreciate and I love open source so much. Awesome. Um, so, so when you made the transition, I know you were already doing classes online with, with ACAD and other things, but when you transitioned to kind of starting your own thing and, and just going to do this on, on the side, did you have any other skills that you had to learn like uh, video editing or audio or, or things like that, that, that may be intimidating to some people that want to go down a similar path? Yeah. So um, all of those skills I'd already developed um, before I, I went full time, um, but I definitely needed some of those skills. Um, when I started at Egghead, I was um, recording, editing uh, all of my own stuff. I was creating my own material, um, you know, my own curriculum, everything. I did, I did the whole thing and all they did pretty much was host videos <laughs> for me. Um, now they do a little bit more for me. Um, I, I'm still responsible for creating the material, creating the examples and um, all of that, um, recording the videos. Um, I do all of that still, um, but I've offloaded the stuff that's not, um, uh, that, that can be offloaded, um, right? The, um, that's not my value proposition. Mm -hmm. um, and so video editing, Egghead does for me now. Um, and, uh, and they do a fantastic job. And, and it's not just like some uh, random editor that they pulled off the street. It's actually somebody who understands the technology. And so they, they can make the right appropriate cuts and stuff. Um, and then uh, they also help a lot with um, uh, creating the idea for the material. So I, I have an idea I want to teach people about Remix. And so this week I'm going to be 
meeting with them to talk about, okay, so what's the, the overarching goal of what you're trying to accomplish? Um, and, uh, and so they kind of help me make sure I cover all the bases of, of what I want to, uh, to teach in the actual material. So I have the right learning outcomes and stuff like that. So they, they do a ton. They, they also do all of the artwork and everything uh, as well. So even at the beginning, uh, so I should say they did more than just host the content. <laughs> um, they, they actually do a ton. Um, so like uh, this whole time, of course, they will take people's money and give it back if they want to refund. Like they do all support, all of that stuff. Uh, I would never want to do all of this by myself um, because I wouldn't be able to get nearly as much done. Um, and and my my goal isn't to make a ton of money. My goal is to uh, reach a ton of people and um, help them make better quality software. And so that's why I work with Egghead in the first place is because I can do that more effectively uh, with them as a, a member of my team uh, than doing all of that on my own. And, and so that's why I offload more uh, to them. But yeah, uh, like, without partnering partnering with egghead um then yeah you need to learn how to to record and edit um it takes a lot of practice like so much practice uh, to get good at this stuff uh and and to do um uh, yeah to to make it an effective use of somebody's time um because more than the money that you're asking you're asking their time and so some people will say that i'm a little bit fast and I just respond with, that's why we have a, a button to pause and, and like to slow down the video and stuff, because I don't want to be uh, wasting anybody's time. You'll never see in, in my uh, paid content, anything that's like, all right, everybody, my name is Kent C. Dodds. Like for every single video, like where the video is two minutes long, but the intro and outro combined is a whole minute. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> those are the worst. Uh, I don't like the, that, uh, that kind of uh, content, but uh, anyway, the, um, it, it takes a lot of practice to figure out what, what works for you. And, and um, so more than the, um, uh, I, I guess, the, the skills you will learn as you do it. Um, and so this is why kind of hedging your bets and, and practicing this before you go on your own is a good idea. Um, start making money and try to get the passive income. Um, going before, like you prove out the idea before you lose your actual salary, um, yep. make sure that you work on the audience as well. And, and don't do any of this, um, like stupid growth hacking stuff where it's like, what's your favorite IDE as a tweet? Like, you know, trying to get that. Those are so obvious. Don't yeah. do those kinds of tweets. Um, but, uh, yeah, like just provide genuine um, useful information, give people a, a good reason to want to follow you um, and to trust you with their time. Um, and you provide just a silly amount of, of time for free. Uh, of, yeah, silly amount of uh, content for free so that they can develop that trust in you so that when you have something to um, for them to pay for, they're like, okay, yeah, he knows what he's talking about. I, or she knows what she's talking about. I want to uh, give them money for, for more of that stuff. So I've got tons of thoughts on this, but I'll stop talking. <laughs> so um, why have you kind of focused uh, heavily on React? Why has React kind of been your, uh, your framework of choice? Yeah, well, um, I started with Backbone uh, at, at Domo, and then we went to AngularJS, and I, I dove really deep into AngularJS. I, I uh, contributed a couple of times to the AngularJS core. Um, mm. So, and then um, Angular 2, uh, its forms implementation was heavily um, 
inspired by my Angular JS Forms library uh, called Angular Formly, uh, which I didn't create, I maintained. Um, I, I took over later. Um, and now it's archived. No, but, but actually, I, I think it's still the most popular Forms library for Angular JS. Um, but uh, yeah, there's no development uh, on it, it's not maintained. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, yeah, then I, I switched over to React. And, and the thing that really won me over for React was how simple it is. Um, so it I, simple is a different word from easy, just to keep that in perspective. It may not be easy for you to, to learn, um, but you can make it easy, uh, make it familiar. Uh, but the fact is that it is simple. Uh, I love how simple it is. And I have a, a blog post about this that people can look up. It's uh, why I love React. Um, but uh, yeah, so since uh, like the end of 2015, um, I've been all in on React. And I, I think that um, for me, it's just the, the simplest way to build an application. Um, it, it is very difficult to build a simple application with a complex framework. Mm. Um, but it, 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 and it's relatively easy to build a complex application with a simple framework, but it is possible to build a simple application with a simple framework. And um, so I, um, I feel like I can um, build a better application, a web application with React. Um, than I can with anything else that I've used. Now, I'm not trying to throw shade at other frameworks. Um, I'm sure other people um, really love the, the frameworks that they use. And I, I haven't dived uh, or dove, dived uh, too deep into uh, like Vue or Svelte. I, I've done Hello World and both of those, but nothing more than that. Um, I'm, I'm really, I really don't like template uh, DSLs. Um, and so like, I, I just, Maybe I've been scarred by AngularJS <laughs> templates and diving into their compiler one too many times. But um, I, I love that React compiles directly to JavaScript. And I, I can understand um, what JSX converts into, like just in my mind, I understand that. That, that to me uh, speaks to some of the simplicity of React. Um, and so I, I feel like I have a lot of power with React. Um, and uh, in particular with uh, I, I just got another shot of excitement with React with uh, the new framework called Remix that um, Ryan Florence and Michael Jackson are working on. Um, there's so much more that I can do with React, so many problems that just go away um, with web development in general, not just React, but uh, web development um, when I am using Remix. Um, so yeah, I, I've never been more excited about building applications with React uh, now that Remix is around. So someone who, who's not familiar with Remix, give me like a two minute spill of what is it and uh, why I should pay attention to it. Yeah, uh, Remix is a what we call a meta framework. Uh, mm -hmm. So if some people don't like calling React a framework, I don't really care, but, um, <laughs> but Remix uh, is a um, server rendered framework. So you, you run a server, um, it's uh, in Node and it um, renders your React or, or with Remix, you can render your React components um, on the server, send those up to the client, and then the client uh, rehydrates um, those React components and to make it interactive. Um, what I love about Remix, because uh, there, there are a lot of frameworks that do this, uh, there's Gatsby and Next.js, and, and they all have kind of different takes on this. Gatsby is a server or static site generator. Uh, Next is a, a, can be both actually. Um, but what makes Remix special is it embraces the web platform. And so you're working with real response and, and request APIs that you Google on MDN 
to understand how that works. You have total control over um, everything that is rendered. So um, the um, the response that comes back um, from the server when you're trying to render a page, you're the one responsible for actually rendering um, the React component. You can render anything else that you want to uh, from there. You're calling React uh, render to string right there. Uh, and then on the client side, you're the one calling React DOM hydrate. Uh, and so you have a lot of power. Uh, you're also rendering the HTML tag. And so like there's there are so many APIs that they don't need to implement because they just give you so much of this power. Uh, and that's that's an, another one of the things that I love about it. Um, the, the APIs that they give you for loading data uh, kind of eliminate the need for most people for GraphQL. Mm -hmm. uh, because lots of the problems that GraphQL solves are just not problems when you're using Remix. Uh, same thing with uh, React Query. Uh, you, you don't really need React Query. Um, mutations are, are easy. And all of this stuff works whether you have JavaScript enabled or not. And so if somebody has an unreliable con connection and the JavaScript fails to load, your app should probably still work um, when you're using Remix. You can't say the same for um, really any other uh, JavaScript framework. Um, yeah, and just their their attention to the progressive web app um, kind of idea and the focus on the platform uh, has me really excited. And so that's that's why people should give uh, Remix a solid look. Awesome, awesome. Well, uh, I really appreciate having you on. Is there any other uh, things you want to share, or how can people connect and find out more about the classes that you're offering and the things that you're teaching right now, and uh, learn more about you know Can't See Dots? Yeah, sure. So the the biggest thing that I worked on recently is Epic React. Um, I we don't have time to dive too much into it, but it is unlike anything that you've ever seen before. Uh, it really is. Uh, and you can ask probably just ask on Twitter, what do people think of Epic React? And um, you'll get responses. There are a lot of people who have taken it and just love it. Um, it is basically 11 workshops of um, highly interactive exercises and material for you to go through and learn really almost everything that I know about React. Um, so. I'd strongly advise people to give that a solid look. Uh, and then of course, testingjavascript.com um, is uh, everything that I know about testing, which is not a small amount. I, I created React testing library um, and, and DOM testing library that is like becoming the de facto standard for testing every um, JavaScript framework. Um, so yeah, it's um, those, those are the two biggest things that I'm working on. I, I also have an active blog and people can subscribe on my website, kensydots.com. Um, I'm active on Discord. I have a Discord community. It's awesome. Really cool place to hang out. And you'll find a link to that on my website. Um, and then I'm pretty active on Twitter as well. Kent C. Dots. Awesome. And I'll link all that up in the show notes at geekleader.com. And welcome back to the show. I really appreciate having you on. And uh, if you ever want to come back, do this again, just let me know. All right. It sounds great, John. Thank you. If you enjoyed that episode, please uh, leave a rating and review in Apple Podcasts. I'd greatly appreciate that. And also, don't forget to check out merch. We have some T-shirts that uh, I've designed that are on at geekleader.com. Um, you can click on the merchandise uh, section there and check that out. And also, don't forget about the books from our guests. So if you like this guest and other guests that have written books, please um, go ahead and check that out at geekleader.com. I would greatly appreciate it, and I'm sure they would too.